everyone, welcome to episode 14 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast with me, your host, Alex Murray. So this week, we'll be doing the usual wrap-up of uh, CVEs and vulnerabilities that have been fixed, and we're also going to have a bit of a talk about software supply chain integrity, in particular in light of the recent compromise of a package for Node.js. Okay, so let's get into it. So we've got 32 unique CVEs that were addressed across the supported Ubuntu releases in the last week. The first one we're going to have a look at is 10 that were uh, done for QEMU, or QEMU, depending on how you want to say it, the uh, virtual machine emulator, uh, and these were fixed for Trusty, Xenial, Bionic, and Cosmic. So of these, uh, seven were medium priority, three were low priority, so we'll just have a uh, look at the medium ones. The first one was an integer overflow in uh, one of the virtual Ethernet network drivers, and this was able to be triggered from a user process within the guest, uh, so that would likely result in a crash and therefore denial of service uh, of QEMU. Second one was a heap-based buffer overflow in the uh, Slurp, the kind of uh, user-based networking stack that is the default networking stack within QEMU. So this was one that could uh, happen during reassembly of fragmented datagrams and again being able to be triggered from a user context. Uh, So, yep, uh, another one that would result in a crash and denial of service likely. Uh, An integer overflow when reading large blocks from files or large amounts from files. So uh, in this case, uh, they were missing uh, some size checks and there was a, a nice proof of concept of this on GitHub if you want to go and dig out uh, from the CVE in our CVE tracker. Uh, another one, which was the uh, NVMe uh, emulator driver, was missing checks on read and write length parameters. So essentially you could uh, read or write beyond the bounds of, of the buffers quite easily because it was never even checking and get a nice uh, heap buffer uh, out of bounds read or write. Uh, and this could be done again from the uh, user or process context within the guest and again likely leading to a denial of service crash or if you can uh, do things the right way, possibly arbitrary code execution. And finally, there was uh, an integer type mismatch in two of the different networking drivers, the RTL8139 uh, and PCNet. And in this case, uh, it was converting uh, a and a length value that was in a size type in down into an integer and that could then likely overflow if the size was greater than int max obviously and you would uh, overflow from what was a nice big uh, large positive number into a very small negative number and then that gets used as the offset into a buffer and you get a nice out of bounds read as a result and a likely crash and denial of service and interestingly because this was in two drivers uh, makes me wonder whether it was a case of you know code copied and pasted from one to another to get the exact same uh, problem. But anyway, all of those have now been fixed for QEMU across Trusty, Xenial, Bionic, and Cosmic. Okay, the next thing we're going to look at is uh, four different CVEs that were in Samba. These were addressed for precise extended security maintenance, Trusty, Xenial, Bionic, and Cosmic. The first one was that uh, Samba, uh, the AD server within that Active Directory, can have its own DNS server internally. You can actually configure it also to, say, use bind, as an external DNS, but if you used its own internal one, it uh, had an issue where uh, you could have a CNAME record point back to itself and therefore you could get a nice bit of infinite loop recursion as a result when it went to try and resolve that. The other problem with that is that users are able to add CNAME records themselves into that and so you'd get a nice kind of user triggerable uh, infinite loop. So that's been fixed by basically making sure that CNAMEs cannot revert themselves. The next thing was that if you are using smart card authentication for your Active Directory, you could get a double free of uh, some memory on the heap, 
which would occur due to uh, when a parameter in the certificate didn't match the one that was in the uh, authorized request. Uh, the I guess the one mitigating thing in this case was that uh, Samba uses its own uh, memory allocation library. It doesn't use, say, malloc from glibc, it uses talloc. And uh, this is robust against heap corruption, and so it would be able to detect that case. Uh, you'd basically fail on an assertion and it would exit, and at most you would then get a denial of service due to the process executing, and you wouldn't actually get, say, heap corruption and arbitrary code execution. So uh, I guess that's one good thing. The last one was a null pointer dereference when reading more than 256 megs from uh, LDAP entries. And then uh, you, I guess in this case, you would actually need to have 256 megs of LDAP entries to be able to read, which isn't necessarily uh, always the case in your AD server. But uh, yeah, in this case, you would then get a denial of service uh, because it would crash. So all of those have been fixed. Okay, the next one we're gonna look at is uh, three CVEs in WebKit GTK. So the web rendering engine for GTK that uses WebKit as its backend. Uh, these were fixed for Bionic and Cosmic. And uh, the upstream uh, notifications for these haven't included a lot of details, so we, we don't have a lot to go on here. But yeah, one of them at least was uh, a cross-site scripting issue due to improper URL validation. And there were a bunch of others that were all apparently related to uh, multiple memory corruption issues or memory handling issues, which could lead to arbitrary code execution. And so these have all been fixed. The next thing to talk about is a security notice that we've released for systemd. So I've mentioned systemd in the last couple episodes where we've been doing uh, some recent uh, large-scale backporting of fixes from upstream to fix various uh, vulnerabilities. And uh, in particular, one of the ones that we've done uh, that I mentioned in uh, last episode, episode 13, was a large backport of some patches that had to do with how systemd handled symlinks within uh, name components, particularly within the systemd temp files uh, part of systemd. And the fix for this basically reworked how that all did, uh, reworked how that uh, code all worked and introduced instead of using open, it would use open at so that you would open at a particular file descriptor for a directory. And then it would use the opath flag within that uh, to make sure that it was properly resolving path name components. Now, the problem was that opath was introduced back in kernel 2639. And uh, Ubuntu, particularly for uh, Xenial, uh, it supports kernels older than that. And so uh, unknown to us at the time, but this obviously introduced a regression where a systemd would be trying to use uh, a file flag, opath in this case, which wasn't necessarily supported on the kernel that would be run on. Now, if you were using Xenial on a standard Ubuntu kernel, you'd be fine. But if you were, say, using Xenial on OpenVZ or OpenVZ, depending on where you live and how you say it, uh, it would fail. And so we had a bunch of bug reports that... Uh, Xenial containers running on OpenVZ were failing. And so it took a bit of uh, detective work to figure this out. But uh, basically the, the fix in this case was to actually revert that change because uh, the kernel, as I said, for Xenial, uh, we allow it to support older kernel versions where it isn't necessarily the case that the opath flag uh, exists. So that's been reverted. Uh, however, OpenVZ have actually released a new kernel that has backported this support as well. So perhaps in the future, we will see uh, this systemd update again include this new logic. Okay, the next thing to look at is some vulnerabilities in Git. So the first one uh, was where uh, Git would fall back to executing commands from the current working directory if they couldn't be found in your path. So essentially, you would get a nice... Um, 
condition here where it was as though you know the current directory dot was in the path environment variable which uh, yeah i guess is a, a pretty well known uh, bad thing to do and so in this case if say you were cloning a repository that wasn't owned by you or managed by you and someone had maliciously tried to uh, put commands in the, or put the names of commands in there uh, they could then get executed by git but as you and the other thing that we fixed was uh, denial of service that could result from a git bomb so if you go and look up this cve you'll actually see a, a nice explanation of this but essentially um, git internally tries to do deduplication of objects within the git repo and in this case uh, the proof of concept is only a small repo with only 12 unique objects in it but uh, these kind of each uh, refer to each other and so you essentially get uh, when you try to clone this repo it tries to uh, create all those objects and so you get a nice uh, explosion of memory usage and if it ever actually survives that and gets a chance to write out the disk you get a nice explosion of disk usage as a result however in most cases uh, git never actually is able to consume enough memory to get to that point so at most it's usually denial of service due to a large amount of memory usage but it could also be denial of service due to a large amount of disk usage so uh, this has been fixed for trusty and xenial uh, bionic and later distributions already were not affected because they were using a newer version of git the next thing to talk about is a regression in uh, OpenJDK. So back in episode 10, I talked about a recent OpenJDK uh, release that we'd introduced. And in particular, this added some stricter checking for jar files. Uh, the problem was that this was uh, a new feature and it was, should have been disabled by default, uh, but it wasn't. And so not surprisingly, a bunch of other things broke as a result. So in particular, different uh, like Maven and other build systems uh, kind of fell over as a result because uh, they were not able to find uh, jar files that they previously could due to these newer uh, restrictions that were in place. Uh, so yeah, what we've done is just disabled that new feature as we should have originally and so all your Java uh, build systems and runtime systems should be able to resolve their jars a lot better now and everything should work as it used to. Next up we've got uh, a few more fixes for GhostScript and this is the gift that keeps on giving. So I've talked about GhostScript in three previous episodes 10, 7 and 5 and now episode 14. So we've got four new CVEs here. Uh, I'm not going to go into the details because I think we've talked enough about GhostScript, but man, that is the, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, GhostScript. Okay, so uh, the next one, let's just move on from that. The next one is libssh. So we've got, uh, unfortunately, another regression notice, but this time uh, an upstream regression. So in episode eight, I talked about a couple, uh, in particular vulnerability in libssh. Uh, this is the one that allowed you to essentially authenticate by just telling the server that you were already authenticated without doing any real authentication. Uh, the problem was this logic change uh, introduced a regression which would break server-side keyboard authentication. So server-side, not client-side, so that you know, wasn't immediately obvious that uh, libssh was broken. But this is the kind of logic that gets used uh, if, say, you uh, set up your libssh server, or you deploy a, ser a server based on libssh that uses, say, both password and token authentication, so the client has to provide multiple keyboard-based interactive uh, tokens to authenticate. And the server would end up kind of stuck, uh, waiting for a state that it would never be able to get into. So the fix for this was pretty simple, just to make sure that the right state was assigned in the right spot, uh, and that's been backported and released for libssh. Uh, the last thing to talk about is some um, updates for uh, the kernel for AWS. So six different CVEs here uh, that were for uh, Cosmic and a couple of them also for Bionic. 
So if you're running uh, an AWS image of Ubuntu, you'll be getting these. Okay, so the main one that I want to talk about here was a vulnerability that uh, was reported to us, uh, uh, an Ubuntu-specific vulnerability, within the way that user namespaces interact with OverlayFS. And in particular, uh, this relates back to a bit of an old CVE that we had uh, back from 2015. And so it's got a bit of a develop, uh, an interesting uh, history with it that I thought I would like to talk about. So we had this CVE reported to us where essentially uh, a normal user, uh, due to the use of user namespaces, is able to create a u- new user namespace. They can then mount, uh, create a new mount namespace as well within that. And then they can, say, uh, bind mount into that, the, the root of the file system of your normal file system. And then they can uh, use OverlayFS coupled with that to then overlay on top of that, say a directory that they don't normally have uh, permission to read. And ordinarily what should happen is that you still, within that new mount namespace, you shouldn't be able to read the contents of that directory. But in this case you could. And what would happen here is that OverlayFS was essentially getting confused about which permissions uh, it should be using, whether the underlying one or the, the newly mounted one on top or the overlaid one on top. Uh, And so uh, as an example, you could say uh, overlay a user control directory called say root uh, on top of the the underlying uh, normal uh, root file system like slash. And you could, as a result, read the names of the files within root's home directory slash root, uh, even though the user didn't have permission for that. And as I said, this relates to a previous CVE, uh, which was uh, quite similar back in 2015 and it turns out that CVE kind of really composed of two different vulnerabilities and they were both fixed at the time but uh, with a single fix and unfortunately this fix uh, seemed to have got dropped somewhere during the probably the development cycle for Bionic and as a result we've reintroduced this similar vulnerability. Now Upstream fixed this uh, the the original 2015 one in a slightly different way and so we've kind of uh, incorporated that that upstream fix plus we've added in uh, this new fix and finally we've uh, essentially added some tests to the uh, kernel test suite to make sure that we don't uh, reintroduce this again in the future so that's been fixed uh, along with as i say five other different cves as well for the kernel and that takes us to the end of the usual summary of uh, security updates for the week uh, so the other thing I wanted to have a bit of a talk about this week was uh, software supply chain integrity, in particular open source software supply chain integrity, and how that relates to Ubuntu and the Ubuntu community. So you've probably heard uh, one of the NPM, the Node.js package uh, manager uh, packages was compromised uh, called EventStream. And essentially it got hijacked to try and steal people's Bitcoin wallets. And in particular, a particular Bitcoin wallet called Copay. How this happened was that the original author of the of this package called EventStream, which got uh, used by this uh, Bitcoin wallet package, they maintained a heap of other uh, NPM packages. And this is one that they uh, had kind of lost interest in and weren't using themselves. And so they were emailed by one of the other contributors to the package who had only made a, a couple small contributions previously, but they asked to take over maintenance of the package. And so as a result, this the original maintainer gave them that right, which I think is uh, perfectly fine really, because you can imagine someone that maintains a heap of different small uh, NPM packages to get one off their plate uh, that they aren't actively using or maintaining themselves probably sounds like a, a good deal. However, this new person uh, went ahead and used that opportunity to essentially compromise uh, this other package. And they did this in a couple interesting ways. So 
they didn't directly compact, uh, compromise EventStream itself. All they did was add in a dependency to it uh, called FlatMapStream. And this new dependency basically contained uh, a bunch of other code that would inject itself into that package. And it didn't directly, say, target EventStream, but it was really trying to target another package called Copay or Copay Dash. And Copay Dash is used to manage your Bitcoin wallet. And so what they're trying to do essentially is compromise people's Bitcoin wallets uh, that are using Copay as their wallet. Uh, but it, it did this at the build time. So what they were, the, the point of it was to actually be able to compromise the deployed Copay package, not, uh, not say EventStream directly. And it would do this by trying to incorporate itself into uh, Copay Dash when Copay Dash was built by uh, the Copay upstream maintainers. And so what they were trying to do here really was compromise software supply chain at two different points. They obviously had already compromised uh, EventStream by injecting this new dependency to it to include this code. But then they were at build time for Copay Dash were trying to get themselves inserted there as well. And this is interesting because the upstream Copay uh, package is signed by the uh, Copay uh, company, essentially, their private keys, so that you can trust it. And a number of versions were then released with this uh, vulnerable code in it that had been essentially injected at build time, eventually through uh, the event stream package. And like I said, I kind of find this interesting because you've uh, compromised the software supply chain at two different points by essentially two different methods. One of them's directly through changing, say, the source on GitHub, but the other one is then through the NPM essentially build system to make sure it pulls in uh, other vulnerable code, but only in this case for a, a particular package, uh, Copay Dash. Now, um, I guess what it really comes down to though is you need to trust the software you're running and how do you do that when you're getting it from uh, all these various sources in the case of ubuntu uh, ubuntu is based on debian and both of these are curated repos unlike say npm that means that there are specific developers who are trusted and who uh, have responsibility for maintaining those packages within the repo and that not just anyone can come along and add a package to the ubuntu or debian repos and get that distributed you essentially need to build up trust within that community and uh, be trusted and be given rights by, in the case of Ubuntu, by uh, Canonical or other uh, Ubuntu developers to earn the right to be able to be uh, to distribute software. What this really means is that it's much harder to mount a similar attack on Ubuntu, particularly, say, the first one, where you're trying to inject code by, say, changing the upstream source code, because uh, every package in Ubuntu has a maintainer who is usually quite uh, close with upstream and monitors upstream development. And so we're able to kind of be aware of these things a lot more easily. And uh, we don't just automatically, say, build in, uh, pull down new dependencies as they come. Every package within the repo has to depend on other uploads that are only in the repo. Uh, the other thing is that uh, the dependency chains in Ubuntu are usually much smaller than, say, NPM, which I guess is more a, um, a, a symptom of the, the Node.js kind of ecosystem. But again, another reason that makes this kind of harder to, say, happen on, on Ubuntu or Debian. Uh, the other thing, though, to look at is the Snap Store, and Snaps is how, how that exists now, which is a different model. So the Snap Store, uh, anyone can upload a package to that, and packages can contain essentially whatever you want. Uh, they can pull in dependencies from wherever and they all get built into an arbitrary uh, package. And, and I guess what that means is that you have to trust the publisher of your snap or of the snaps that you want to run. 
One thing that snaps do have going for them though is the built-in confinement. Uh, so snaps are sandboxed, uh, or strict mode snaps are sandboxed and to even publish a snap that isn't sandboxed uh, in strict mode, you either need to be publishing it uh, in one of the, um, the non-stable channels so then at least your users uh, kind of have some awareness that uh, this isn't necessarily trusted or to tr- uh, publish it in the stable channel, you need to get special exception from the Snap Store owners. And again, that involves a bit of a vetting process as well. So even for the Snap Store, uh, that is, uh, has the idea of um, trusted publishers, but also if you want to run something in, say, classic mode or without the strict mode confinement, then you need an exception for that. It's not something that you can just get for free. So in the case of Ubuntu, these sorts of attacks are protected against in a number of different ways, whether you're talking about the, the deb archive or, or you're talking about the Snap Store. But again, each of those are a bit different. Um, but ultimately, it comes down to trusting whoever is publishing your software. In the case of the Ubuntu archive, that's uh, Canonical and the Ubuntu developers. Uh, and in the case of the Snap Store, that is the individual publishers. So uh, if you are using Snaps, I suggest that you make sure that you are aware of who is publishing that Snap and you know what reputation do they have or not, and do you trust that code? As always, I guess you've got to trust what's running on your system. Okay, so that takes it to the end of this week's episode. As usual, if you want to get in contact, you can reach us at securityubuntu.com or you can find us hanging out in the Ubuntu Hardened channel on the Freenode IRC network, and I urge you to come along and say day. Or you can find us on Twitter at Ubuntu underscore sec. So that's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed listening, and I will speak to you all again in another week. Until then, remember, keep calm and enable automated upgrades, and I'll speak to you soon. Thanks for listening. Bye.